Thanksgiving is upon us, which means that it's time for normal people to give thanks to God for the blessings in their life. And it's time for leftists to whine about how much they hate America. The real story of Thanksgiving and some history you probably never read in your school books. The mythology of Thanksgiving closely mirrors the mythology of America. That mythology is the image that white Americans love to see of themselves. White settlers come to a strange land in good faith, bringing something of great value that enriches the people who are already here. The natives also bring something of immense value, equal exchange. That closely mimics the mythology of white America. It is how America wants to see itself. The truth, of course, of Thanksgiving is much different. The truth is pilgrims did not bring turkey, sweet potato pie, or cranberries to Thanksgiving. They could not. They were broke. They were broken. Their hands were out. They were begging. They brought nothing of value. But they got fed. They got schooled. Thanksgiving. It makes sense. There is much for white Americans to be thankful for. But I'm still trying to figure out what indigenous people received of value. So that history is completely wrong. The whole thing is completely wrong, all the way down to the turkeys, which the pilgrims almost certainly did bring to Thanksgiving. But this guy's premise is wrong, too. The, actually, the, the MSNBC host's premise is wrong, too. If you're under the age of 40, you almost certainly were taught that anti-American, anti-historical nonsense in schools. In fact, that was probably the only story about Thanksgiving you were taught. And it also happens to be total bunk. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Alex Shinprod, who says, those poor individuals in the street that looted the Louis Vuitton store were just trying to put caviar, creme brulee, and herb-encrusted filet mignon on their table to feed their families. That's so true. They are poor put-upon people who are stealing Prada handbags and Louis Vuitton and jewelry. They're very, they're oppressed and they really, they deserve the foie gras that they are, that are, they are simply coveting to feed their families. You know, when you want really nice goods to make your family happy, I would strongly recommend you check out Movement. The Christmas shopping season is upon us and Movement, the original watch brand to break all the rules, has you covered. They are bringing you the sleekest, highest quality gifts of the season with hundreds of watches, blue light glasses, and fine jewelry styles to choose from. Movement is making it easy. They've got beautiful curated gift boxes. They have a his and hers gift guide. They've got free and quick shipping right to your door just in time for Christmas. I've had a number of Movement watches over the years, and I love them all. My favorite one, I've got to say, is the Revolver watch. I love it. It's cool. Black face, black dial, uh, dark brown strap. It's rose rose gold uh, uh, case. I don't know how to describe it. It's just super duper cool. They have automatic watches, which I love too. They've got, I, I gave one to my father uh, for Christmas. He loves it. He, it was a total smash hit. They're just great. And, and because they're not particularly expensive, they're you know a great deal. You can buy multiple and wear them on different days. Be the big winner this holiday season with a gift from Movement. MVMT.com slash Knowles. That's MVMT.com slash Knowles. Join the movement. That history is just BS. So what the guy in the Kuji sweater says is that uh, the story we're told is that the Native Americans and the Englishmen brought something to the table at the first Thanksgiving and it more broadly in their, in their cohabitation. 
and they both benefited from it. And that's totally untrue. The Englishmen brought nothing. They didn't even bring turkeys. So yes, they did. You can read in Governor Bradford's On Plymouth Plantation, you can read that even specifically on the turkey point, he sent his men a fowlin. They went out, they got some birds, they brought some stuff. They uh, all came together and they ate a meal together. And that meal was representative of a peace and, and an alliance that they formed, the Englishmen and the Native Americans, specifically one Native American, Massasoit. The guy says that the Indians did not benefit at all. They didn't get anything from the Englishmen. That's not true. Massasoit, who was an Indian chieftain, uh, was able to use the Englishman to greatly expand his power in New England and really helped to create and certainly to expand the Wampanoag nation. He could not have done that without the Englishman. In 1623, Massasoit, the leader of the Indian there, the Indian tribe there, was on his deathbed. He was dying. The Englishman, Edward Winslow, out of friendship, went to go visit Massasoit. Massasoit said, this is all well recorded. Massasoit said, Edward Winslow, I'll never see your face again. Edward Winslow made him some broth and gave him some rudimentary medicine and sat up with him and took care of Massasoit and Massasoit recovered. And then Massasoit told the Edward Winslow and the Englishman about a plot from the other Massachusetts Indians that were going to, Massachusetts or the Narragansett, I forget, who were, uh, who were making an attempt, I think it was the Massachusetts, who were making an attempt on the Englishmen's lives. And they formed various alliances and they lived together in, in peace for a long time. Actually, the only reason that the peace broke down was because Massasoit's son, King Philip, who took an English name, who took a Christian name, uh, King Philip misinterpreted the death of his brother and thought the Englishman killed his brother, even though they didn't. And so he declared war on them and some Indians sided with the Englishman and some Indians sided with King Philip and the peace between the natives and the Englishman was irrevocably destroyed. That's the real history. The Coogee sweater guy and the uh, airheaded MSNBC lady don't know anything about that because they don't know much about anything at all, certainly not about history. All they know about is their ideology, which, which tells them that the Indians got nothing of value. What else did they get of value? Um, Christianity, that would be one thing that they got of value. I, I assume that the MSNBC lady and the Coogee sweater guy don't have a great deal of respect for Christianity, but they should because the religion that the natives were practicing is, was a false religion and it led to some very kooky practices. As, as we have noted on this show before, cannibalism was fairly widespread among certain Indian tribes, including around the northeast of the United of what is now the United States. There were lots of terrible religious practices. There was enslavement, all sorts of bad things. And the, when the Englishmen came and brought Christianity to the Native Americans, uh, they, they brought true religion. They brought some enlightenment to them. And they worked. I'm not saying the Indians didn't give the Englishmen something of value as well. The Englishmen would have starved without the Indians. In fact, one of the first acts that the Englishmen committed when they got to the New World was to find a bunch of corn that the Indians had stored. And they took some of the corn. And they wanted to pay it back later, but they were starving. And they took some. So it just seems to me that the true history is much more interesting than the nonsense ideology that you are in fact taught in schools. It's, it's now become a canard. It's a myth to say, here's the real dirty history of America that you weren't taught. No, that's all you're taught now. Even when I was in school, which was now what? I started school in 1995 and uh, graduated high school in 2008. And still, even all the way back then, we were taught almost exclusively, certainly by high school, a negative history of the settlers in America. And we were, we were taught history from the perspective of leftist polemicists who think that colonization and settling America was a very terrible thing. 
Really the history that you are not taught is the history that I just told you. I just gave you a little tiny touch of it. And what I'm not even an academic historian. I just happen to have read a handful of books on this. And so I know significantly more <laughs> than any of these ideological lunatics on cable news or the fellow wearing the Kuji sweater. The real history is, is always much more interesting than the fables that the ideologues are trying to tell you. Speaking of not being taught things in school, the energy secretary for Joe Biden was just giving a press conference because gas prices are through the roof. It's seven bucks a gallon in California. And she was asked a very simple question. Might be the most elementary question pertaining to her job. She was asked, how many barrels of oil a day does the United States consume? She didn't know the answer. There are various figures about this. So I'm curious if you know, how many barrels of oil does the U.S. consume per day? I don't have that number in front of me. So some suggest it's about 18 million, which would suggest you're releasing less than three days worth of supply from the petroleum reserve. Some have said it's about 18 million. It's actually probably higher than that. It's probably a little over 20 million, 20.5 million barrels of oil per day. But whether it's 18, whether it's 20, don't you think that is a, a number that the energy secretary should know? I'm not saying that the energy secretary needs to have every statistic off the top of her head. But but that one's pretty basic. When you're applying for the job of energy secretary, that should probably be the number one question on the quiz, right? How much oil does the United States consume? And she didn't know. Yes, ideology plays a role in bad administrations. Yes, partisan alliances play a role. There's also just a level of basic competence that is necessary to have a good administration. And this administration doesn't have that. And frankly, I think it starts in school for these people. I think that this energy secretary and this weak administration is the logical result of decades of poor education, of, uh, as they say, teaching students how to think, not what to think. I know a lot of conservatives recite this very stupid slogan as well, but we shouldn't. We should throw that slogan out. It's, the, the idea is that we don't need to teach students facts. We don't need to teach them dates and facts and battles and what actually happened. We just need to teach them broad themes. You know, we just need to teach them how to think so they can form their own conclusions. And sure, some people might say the Mayflower landed in 1620, but you know, if I say it landed in 1854, well, that's just, that's just my truth. You know, that's just, I just learned how to think. No, no, that's not how education works. You actually can't teach someone how to think without also teaching them what to think. Yes, we want to develop our higher thinking skills, but you need to know some basic facts, bro. You need to know that two plus two equals four if you're going to think about higher mathematics. And if you're going to be the energy secretary of the United States, you need to know how many barrels of oil the United States consumes per day. And if you want to think about American history and you want to even craft an American government, you need to know basic facts about America, like what happened when the pilgrims got here and what the early relationship between the pilgrims and the Indians was and how the United States was settled. You need to know these basic things. And unfortunately, what we have done because of airheaded ideologues like the people on MSNBC and the Gucci sweater guy and even now our cabinet secretaries, what we have done is replaced hard facts and, and true education with airy, wishy-washy, socially constructed, always fluid ideology. Now, when you want to support America, I would strongly recommend you support American ranchers 
Just why you got to check out Good Ranchers. Did you know that the product of USA tag has been stolen by foreign countries? A lot of times, maybe most of the time, when you go to the supermarket and you buy your meat and you think you're buying American meat, you're not actually buying American meat. So why not just go to the best source out there, the Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers have gone around to great American ranches, found top quality meats. They have got uh, my favorite, which are the burgers. The burgers are really good, but they've got fillets. They've got all sorts of different cuts of beef. They've got better than organic chicken. Head on over right now to the Good Ranchers. Uh, do not allow labeling laws that favor foreign countries, deprive um, American ranchers of your business and deprive you of good American meat. Go to goodranchers.com slash Knowles right now. Get 10 free Bistro fillets. In addition, you will, if you subscribe, save $25 off of each subscription box of mouthwatering American meats for life. The boxes will show up right on schedule to your door. That is 10 free Bistro fillets. That's a $119 value, free express shipping, and $25 off your monthly subscription for life at goodranchers.com slash Knowles. That is goodranchers.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout. 10 free Bistro fillets, free express shipping, 25 bucks off your monthly subscription for life at goodranchers.com slash Knowles. Speaking of not knowing what or how to think, the, the rot of the Biden administration competency goes all the way to the top. Joe Biden was making some remarks just yesterday, and he was reading from a teleprompter, as he always does. A lot of presidents do. And uh, he couldn't even differentiate between the words on the prompter that he was supposed to say and the words he was not supposed to say. There's a lot of innovation. Because of the actions we've taken, things have begun to change. End of quote. In the past three weeks. End of quote. End of quote. He read end of quote. We, and what, because of what we've done, things have begun to change. I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm, <laughs> this is the Ron Burgundy presidency. This is a man who not only cannot speak extemporaneously because he doesn't know what's going on and he's obviously in decline. This is a man who can't even read the teleprompter. And it's not just flubbing over one word or two words. This is a man who doesn't even know how teleprompters work, who doesn't even know how speeches work, end of quote. I know it seems like a minor flub, but it's not. It's part of a much larger pattern. And we've all seen it. And I think even Joe Biden's partisans can't really deny it. Even Joe Biden's physician can't deny it. You know, the, the president just had a physical the other day. And... Very often when presidents have physicals, what happens is the doctor afterwards says, you know, everything's great. Everything's totally fine. He's doing great. Don't worry. No problems here. Joe Biden's physician couldn't do that. Couldn't do it in good conscience. Couldn't do it with a straight face because we all see the problems. So Joe Biden's physician concluded, you know, there are some physical issues. He's clearing his throat a lot. That might be evidence of some other health issues. You know, just the fact that he can't seem to get through a sentence without clearing his throat. Uh, the president's ambulatory gait, the way he walks, is perceptively stiff, stiffer and less fluid than it was a year or so ago. So the guy is having trouble walking. It's not good. This is in the president's official physical. He has, uh, the, the president has several reasonable explanations for his, his difficulty walking in his orthopedic history. But again, a detailed investigation was appropriate. And then here's the crucial part. There was no mental test, no test of mental acuity that was that was administered to the president. You'll remember when Trump was president, people made fun of him because he took a mental test. Because people were saying that he was crazy 
and senile, and he obviously wasn't. I mean, no matter what you think of Trump, you might hate the guy, you might think he's evil, you might think he's a huckster, you might, whatever. But you've got to admit he's sharp. Right? The, the evidence that Trump is sharp is his sense of humor. Right? The, the fact that he could be asked by Megyn Kelly in a debate about how he called women fat, slobs, ugly animals, pigs, and he doesn't miss a beat, and he says, no, only Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very funny line. Okay, that, that would take a professional showman, a professional comedian, like Trump is, to be able to do that. You've got to be quick to tell a joke like that. Okay, and Trump obviously was quick. You might hate his guts, but still he was quick. And, so, and, and he even made a joke about the mental test and talked about how he was a genius and, and the like. Joe Biden couldn't take the test. He didn't take the test because he couldn't take the test. Which means, my biggest takeaway from all of that is not that Biden's going to collapse tomorrow. My biggest takeaway from all of that is that the Democrats don't have a 2024 plan. They don't. It, is this guy really going to run again? Maybe. Maybe they're going to try to drag him over the finish line. But they're going to have to make up another pandemic because if this guy hits the campaign trail, it's going to be very bad. So they're going to have to find some excuse to lock him in his room. Or he s- steps down and then what? And then what? Number two is even less popular than he is. Biden's approval rating is 38. Kamala's is 28, 27 or 28, lower than Dick Cheney when he shot the guy in the face. What, what makes you think that putting Kamala Harris on the trail is going to be any better? Kamala Harris was asked while she was giving remarks to explain why the prices are going up. She said, what, they said, what's your answer for the rampant inflation? Here's her searching for an answer. Uh, prices have gone up. And families and individuals are dealing with the realities of, of the, that bread costs more, that gas costs more. Wow. Thank you, Professor Harris. That's really astounding stuff. Right, hold on. Can I take notes? Can you go back to the, uh, 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 price has gone up? Uh-huh. Yeah, we know that. That's the premise of the question. So why? What, what's happening? What are you going to do about that? Um, uh, people, they pay more. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. I know. That's what inflation is. So what are you going to do about it? Um, gas is, bread is high. Yep. That's right. The Democrats are not sending their best. This is the problem with selecting a vice president purely on the basis of her genitals and race, which is the only reason this woman was selected. Joe Biden admitted that long before he ever picked Kamala Harris. He said, I'm going to pick a black woman. And then he backed himself into a corner because in terms of the black women who were prominent enough in public life to be the vice president, there, there weren't many options. You had Karen Bass, who is an actual Democrat, she's an actual Democrat and an actual communist. Like a, she has been a member of communist organizations. You had Susan Rice, who was the fall man for Benghazi. You, I guess you had Stacey Abrams, who's the, the fake governor of Georgia. She's the pretender governor of Georgia. And you had Kamala Harris who was the first person out of the Democrat race because no one likes her because she's really not that good. She's, she's good at backroom politics. I'll just leave it at that. But she's not good at front-facing politics. People don't like her. It's why her approval rating is in the doldrums. And now the Democrats are paying for that. They are now paying for the, this identity politics vice presidency. And the White House knows it. Jen Psaki, who increasingly has the most difficult job in the world, Jen Psaki was asked about Kamala Harris's low approval ratings. And rather than deny it, rather than play it down, she, she actually laughed about it. But her approval ratings are low. I mean, is that, do you think that's spreading to the American people when they, when they answer some of these polls and, and have an opinion about her? 
Look, I think we've seen, um, it's not a secret, Anita, we've seen some <laughs> drop in approval ratings, um, you know, across the board. I will say that um, we also have to be, and we are very sober about the fact that um, there are some challenges, real challenges people are going through in this country. Uh, uh, Madam Press Secretary, uh, the vice president's approval ratings are below dirt. They are underground at this point. Um, what do you say about that? <laughs> yeah, they're pretty low, huh? <laughs> so two, two takeaways here. Uh, one takeaway is that there's, there's no way to defend this. There's really no way to spin 27% approval rating. Okay. For your vice president who sh- who's doing nothing. The vice president should have a higher approval rating than Joe Biden, who, sh- who is taking all of the flack and yet hers is still significantly lower. So there's no, there's no really good explanation for that. Uh, but the other thing th- that I think you should take away here is Biden and Harris clearly despise one another, right? There is no Joe Kamala team here. They hate one another. Kamala Harris launched her presidential bid calling Joe Biden a racist. Joe Biden didn't like that very much. And he chased her out of the race and Kamala Harris was, was the first person out. And then because he backed himself into a corner, he had to pick her. But they don't like each other. The White House is not going to save Kamala Harris. They're not going to boost her. They keep giving her the worst jobs, right? They say, oh, Kamala, you're going to be in charge of fixing immigration. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> enjoy, go enjoy El Paso. Go have a good time. Send us some tamales. And uh, so it's, she, they give her an impossible job. She takes a ton of flack, which means that the Democrats do not have any particularly viable plan in 2024. Joe Biden can barely walk and Kamala Harris, much, much less run for president. Kamala Harris is deeply, deeply unlikable. And they're going to keep sniping at each other. And, the whole, and Kamala is going to keep calling Joe a racist. And Joe is going to keep laughing at Kamala's bad approval ratings. That's good news for us. The only good news for Biden is Kamala Harris is his insurance policy. You don't like me? Well, look who's coming after me. <laughs> this, this is actually something Trump did with Pence because as much as libs pretended that Donald Trump is the second coming of, you know, Francisco Franco or something or Mussolini, uh, he, he wasn't. He was, he's actually kind of a moderate guy on a lot of policies. And Mike Pence was the, a little more of the kind of religious right type of conservative. And so the insurance policy was, all right, you get rid of Trump, you're going to have to deal with Mike Pence much more of a religious right type figure than, than Donald Trump ever was. So they, they know that. And they, they also know that a lot of their plans at the White House are falling apart, most notably the vaccine mandate, which is why we're seeing the White House getting increasingly desperate and increasingly lawless. You know, the Biden administration pushes its employer vaccine mandate through OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Uh, this is almost certainly unconstitutional. Daily Wire is leading the fight to sue the Biden administration. Uh, the case goes to the Court of Appeals. The court issues a stay, says don't enforce the mandate. The Biden administration says enforce the mandate anyway. Then OSHA, the administration itself, the agency says, we are going to suspend our mandate. Biden doesn't care. You know, if, if you want to talk about your health, if you, if you want to feel better, I would strongly recommend you check out echelon. I want to stay fit. I want to stay svelte. And I don't have any time because I'm in this studio 25 hours a day. How do I do it? The answer is simple. I'm not driving to a gym. That is simply not going to happen. I'm not going to go join the football team. That's not going to happen. Echelon has made it possible. Echelon is the affordable way to get the workout equipment 
the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort of your own home. Echelon's fitness app provides you with thousands of live and on-demand classes with great music. With Echelon, you can work out any time, day or night, and crush your fitness goals wherever you are. Echelon's full range of affordable workout equipment, including stationary bikes, smart rowers, sleek fitness screens, and the auto-folding treadmill are all connected to provide the Echelon experience. I love it. I absolutely love my Echelon. It's super. It's the only thing that's going to get me to work out. One membership covers a family of five. For right now, podcast listeners, our listeners, will get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to 818181. Text Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Text Knowles to 818181. Also, the Daily Wire shop is live and ready for all your extremely important Christmas needs. You know, I, I know that you're, you're very much looking to buy this, this Black Friday and Cyber Monday. You want to buy Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a comprehensive guide, my number one best-selling blank book. And you're thinking, maybe I'll buy that on Amazon, maybe I'll buy it at Barnes & Noble. You definitely want to buy Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, my number one national best-selling a book with words that came out this year. And you're thinking, maybe I'll go to Amazon, maybe I'll go to Barnes & Noble. Well, you can go to any of those places. But where I would recommend you go is the Daily Wire merch shop. That's right, dailywire.com slash shop. Check out all the brilliant collections like the Do Not Comply tees and the Let's Go Brandon Tailgate gear and a ton of my stuff. We've got great uh, cigar label t-shirts with my mug on it and my, my uh, cigar motto, which is the body is a temple and the temple needs incense. We've got Smokey Mike and the God King merch, really top of the line kind of stuff. We've got the Fauche t-shirt. It's uh, Che Guevara, but with Fauci's face on it. Anyone can shop at the Daily Wire store, but only DW members will get special discounts up to 20% off. Uh, members also receive access to shop exclusive items like signed copies of Candace Owens' book, Blackout, or Speechless or Control, or Reasons to Vote for Democrats. Uh, you can also get the iconic Leftist Tears Tumblr. They are selling fast. Go to dailywire.com slash shop. If you're not a member yet, sign up. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. Enter code DW35. You'll get 35% off your membership. All the perks you wouldn't get otherwise. The deal ends tomorrow on membership. So make sure you grab that discount while you can. We'll be right back with a lot more. Biden tells OSHA to tell employers with 100 or more employees to take the Fauci ouchie. Some of those companies, notably the Daily Wire, sue Joe Biden over this. The court tells Biden to stop telling OSHA to stop telling the employers with 100 or more employees to take the Fauci ouchie. Biden tells the court to go pound sand and Biden tells OSHA to keep in making the employers, make the employees to take the Fauci ouchie. Now OSHA is telling the employers who are telling the employees to get the Fauci ouchie that they are going to suspend their mandate until the issue is resolved in court. Are you confused enough yet? I certainly am. Uh, the reporters asked Jen Psaki about this yesterday. Here's what the White House has to say. OSHA suspended its vaccine implementation and enforcement because of a court order. Um, given this update, is the administration still urging businesses to move forward with the president's vaccine and weekly testing rule? And are you still working off of that January 4th compliance deadline? 
We are. Um, let me be very clear. Our message to businesses right now is to move forward with measures that will make their workplaces safer and protect them, uh, their workforces from COVID-19. Uh, that was our message after the first stay issued by the Fifth Circuit. That remains our message and nothing has changed. I would note that recent polling, I think that just came out yesterday, showed that 60% of businesses are moving forward with measures that keep their workplaces safe. They're essentially implementing components or versions of these vaccine requirements because they know it's in the interests of their workforces to protect their workforces, to make sure they can bring more people back to the workforce. And we certainly see that as a positive sign. So we have been looking at this as a battle between the executive branch and the judicial branch, right? The executive branch says, take the Fauci out, the judicial branch says, hold up. But there's another player here in the government as well. That's the administrative state, the deep state, the executive agencies, OSHA itself. And so now you've got the judiciary saying, hold up. You've got OSHA saying, hold up. And you've got Joe Biden saying, ignore both of those, take the Fauci out anyway. What this proves and you know I hate to say I told you so. What this proves is that we were right. We were right when we said this is unconstitutional, this is BS. Biden knows it's unconstitutional. It's almost certainly going to be struck down by the courts. And Biden knows that and doesn't care. What he is hoping is that enough employers force enough employees to take the Fauci-ouchie before the court strikes it down that it's a moot point. The court strikes down the Biden order. Okay, whoopsie-daisy. Anyway, 99% 99% of the country's vaxxed now. Too bad. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. Even OSHA, because OSHA fears the court and the people running OSHA fear the court. They say, okay, hold on. We're going to hold this up. Biden says, yeah, never mind. Yeah, whatever. Okay, whatever OSHA says, whatever the court says, whatever. Just, just do it. By whatever means you need to, force your guys to take the Fauci ouchie. This is lawless. And I never want to hear from the libs again that we're undermining democracy and the rule of law and all our principles because of Trump and the insurrection. And the, no, you're, you are the ones who are now openly advocating, flouting the rule of law, flouting the courts, flouting even the administrative agency, and just bullying Americans, millions and millions of Americans, to take this experimental drug to sort of fight off a virus that for the vast majority of people does not pose a particularly grave threat. Speaking of lawlessness, Waukesha, Wisconsin, you know, there was the attack. Oh, we're not allowed to call it an attack. There was the incident at the Christmas parade where a BLM supporter drove his SUV down and killed five people and injured many, many more people. Well, now that number has been updated. It wasn't just five people, it's six people. A sixth person, a child, an eight-year-old child, has died from the car attack in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Now the number of people injured, it's no longer just 20 people or 40 people. It's now up to 61 people injured. CBS 8 is reporting that the eight-year-old boy died and his 12-year-old brother was also hit during the massacre. The Uh, You're not going to hear a lot of this from the establishment media, but the guy who drove the car was, uh, according to his social media, reportedly a BLM supporter, a big critic of of, uh, Trump and the Republicans and conservatives. He espoused black nationalist rhetoric. This came right after the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, which was exploited by the media and tried to turn into a BLM cause celeb. And, And he was also, this driver of the car, out on bail. He had been 
He had actually just been uh, leaving another domestic incident, but he had been arrested for domestic abuse. He hit, he hit a woman, the mother of his children. He hit her with a car, same car he used to hit, kill all these other people. And he was released on bail. And the bail was a thousand bucks. And before that, just last year, he was arrest, arrested again for all these problems. He was released on $500 bail. This guy is a degenerate, dirty, rotten criminal who should have been locked up at least, at least locked up for a very long time, if not the rest of his life. And because of the compassionate liberals and criminal justice reform, which these days, even many Republicans are embracing, because of that, 61 people were injured and six people were killed, including an eight-year-old boy. And who knows, more people might die. There's still people in critical condition because of that compassion. And now you want to hear the cherry on top of the Sunday? He's got, he's got the opportunity for bail again. Now the bail is very high this time. They've set the bail at $5 million. Why are they giving him that opportunity at all? He is a repeat, violent, career criminal who has killed, who has injured many, many people and killed multiple people. Why does he have the opportunity for bail? I agree he should have a trial, though it, though <laughs> in, a, in a simple, efficient, just world that isn't fallen, th- this would be over already. But yes, he, of course, he's entitled to a trial, but he's not entitled to go out. There's, if the guy goes, he's already skipped his bail before. He's already, he's already committed crimes while out on bail. So just, you can't give him that opportunity again. And in our crazy, compassionate world, he is being given that opportunity. There was also a media narrative. There's so many lies in the media around this, this attack. One of them was that the reason he drove his SUV into the crowd, into the Christmas parade, and killed a bunch of grannies, the dancing grannies was one of the names of one of the groups, and killed children, is because he was being chased by the police. That was, that was the narrative that, they, that was starting to form. And it, of course it is, because nothing can be this criminal's fault. Everything has to be the fault of the police. Why did you commit the crime? The police made me do it. The law made me do it. The society made me do it. It can never be the fault of the criminal. And especially when you add the racial dimension here that the left pushes, it's all the white guy has to always be at fault, even if the cop is black. Actually, as is the case in, in uh, this part of Wisconsin, it's still, it's the white guy and the poor black guy is always the victim. And the, you see it in the narrative around Thanksgiving. The settlers, the pilgrims, they're always the bad guy. The Indians are always the victim. There's no ambiguity here. It always breaks down. And even if the reality doesn't match that narrative, the, the reality must be made to conform with that narrative. So uh, the cop here in Waukesha came out, Milwaukee police came out and said that that media narrative just is not true. We have information that the suspect prior to the incident was involved in domestic disturbance, which was just minutes prior. And the suspect left that scene just prior to our arrival uh, to that domestic uh, disturbance. When the suspect was driving through into the crowd, one officer did discharge his firearm and fire shots at the suspect to stop uh, the threat. But due to the amount of people, had to stop um, and uh, stop and fire no, did not fire any other additional shots. There's no evidence that this is a terrorist incident. Okay, now this last part is a little questionable to me. But to the first part, he's saying the 
the guy was involved in a domestic disturbance. He was beating his baby mama, as he frequently did. And so the cops went to that scene, but he had already left that scene. So it's not like he was there and the cops got there and then he fled and ran away and then the cops just chased him. He had already left by the time the cops got there. He was already driving his car into the people by the time the cops shot at him to stop him from doing that. And then the cops had to stop shooting because there were so many people around because it was a Christmas parade. And yet, the cop says, this is not a terrorist incident. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean this, this is not Al-Qaeda? Yeah, I don't think it's Al-Qaeda. Does this mean this was not ISIS? Yeah, I don't think it was ISIS. But are we certain that this guy did not have any political motive? What is, what is terrorism? Terrorism in its most simple form is the targeting of civilians to achieve a political end. The people here were killed were civilians. The guy who drove the car had clearly, art- reportedly clearly articulated political views about BLM, black, about black, black nationalism, about Trump and conservatives and Rittenhouse and all these people. The Rittenhouse verdict came out just days before this incident. I'm not saying that we know for certain that it was politically motivated. It might have just been the guy's a nut and he's a violent criminal and he's a dirty, rotten degenerate and he beats his baby mom and runs her over with a car and he just felt like killing some people that night. It might have been that. But are we, we're certain this had no political motive? I don't think so. And compare it, of course, compare it, of course, to Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse goes out, defends a town that he works in where his part of his family lives, and he is instantly smeared, white supremacist, this is terrorism, we know his motives, without any evidence whatsoever. Now, we actually do have evidence of a, of a political motive here. We, there is no claim possible that this guy was acting in self-defense, like Kyle Rittenhouse, who was just proven to have acted in self-defense. And yet we're told no political motive whatsoever. I don't buy that. Meanwhile, meanwhile, you remember Charlottesville? You remember the Unite the Right rally some years ago? Plaintiffs in that rally were just awarded $25 million. $25 million in damages over the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. The way that they were, and they were awarded this from people like Richard Spencer and other white identitarians. The lawyers for the plaintiffs used a 150-year-old law that was passed after the Civil War uh, that's known as the Ku Klux Klan Act that uh, contains this provision that's very rarely used that allows private citizens to sue other citizens for civil rights violations. The left is very happy about this, which is funny because (laughs) the left is very upset about the abortion law in Texas that allows private citizens to sue other private citizens for civil rights violations, right? That's the mechanism that the pro-life law in Texas works by. And the left is furious about that and says it's unconstitutional, evil, and terrible. But they're using a similar law here to sue white identitarian people because of physical or emotional harm, not caused by these people, but caused by people who were leading the march at which there was violence. James Fields is the uh, guy who drove his car into a crowd and killed Heather Heyer at the Unite the Right rally. Uh, James Fields is is serving life in prison. That guy's not getting out of prison. So he's already faced his punishment or is facing his punishment. 
Three other Unite the Right protesters were accused, and, and more than protesters here, they were accused of uh, surrounding and beating uh, a black counter-protester, DeAndre Harris, in a video that went viral. Now, Harris himself was the guy who was the victim in the beating, was also charged with unlawful wounding following an assault on an alleged white identitarian during that protest. Uh, Corey Long, who uh, was uh, one of the counter-protesters, uh, was shown wielding an improvised flamethrower against a white identitarian at the protest. He was also arrested. Okay, it's very, very complicated, but now they've $25 million in damages from the white identitarians. What happened in Waukesha was by every single measure much, much worse than what happened in Charlottesville. But Waukesha will be shrugged off. The political dimensions, if there is one, will be completely denied and downplayed. The deaths will be downplayed. It will just be another sad thing, never mind moving on. Charlottesville will be held up as the worst attack ever in American history. Even though the guy who committed the crime that day is serving life in prison, he completely got his just desserts. But that will be held up constantly as justice was not done. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. But if you just look at the death count, if you look at the mayhem, if you look, it's not even comparable. But this is because in the United States, the left gets away with violence. And the right, when it commits violence, obviously doesn't get away with it. And when the right even doesn't commit violence or acts in self-defense or just sort of speaks, they are held to a completely different standard. Kyle Rittenhouse just came out. He did an interview with Tucker and Kyle Rittenhouse was asked about his political views and he shocked a lot of people and a lot of his supporters when he said that he supports Black Lives Matter. This case has nothing to do with race. Um, it never had anything to do with race. It had to do with the right to self-defense. Right. Um, I'm not a racist person. I support the BLM movement. I support peacefully demonstrating and I believe there needs to be change. I believe there's a lot of prosecutorial misconduct, not just in my case, but in other cases. And it's just amazing to see how, how much a prosecutor can take advantage of somebody. It's, not, it's never, never like that. I love BLM. I'm a great guy. So a BLM responded, and they don't, apparently they're not very welcoming of Kyle Rittenhouse. They say, Alexa, play I Don't F With You. And then they, you know, had a bunch of tweets about how terrible the Rittenhouse verdict was, and now it's emblematic of white supremacy. Well, the right here is giving Rittenhouse a lot of advice, and a lot of conservatives are saying, Kyle, you're, you're so mistaken and naive. They're not going to accept you at BLM, and BLM's a radical Marxist organization, and you shouldn't ally yourself with BLM. I, I don't really believe that. I don't think that I, I, I believe those uh, criticisms, but I, I don't believe that Kyle Rittenhouse actually supports BLM. He obviously does not. I think Kyle Rittenhouse is saying this because he's about to sue a bunch of media organizations for, for defamation. And I think this helps his case. And, and because the media organizations acted so recklessly and irresponsibly, he's trying to make this point very clear. But uh, he's pro- probably just doing it for the, uh, the libel suits here. I can't imagine that a kid with this kind of, uh, this, this articulate, who's just been through all of this, could, could say in, in seriousness, in sincerity, that uh, he supports BLM. I just, I just, it's been, in 2021, I just don't buy it. After BLM torched the country for six months, I don't think so. Speaking of criminals, the Colorado Sex Offender Management Board just voted last Friday 
to get rid of the term sex offender. (laughs) Meaning, presumably, that the Colorado Sex Offender Management Board will now just be called the Colorado Management Board. You know, it it sounds much more boring. If if you, it's just the management board, you know, it's just upper management. Uh, They voted to change the term to quote, adults who commit sexual offenses in its standards guidelines for assessment, evaluation, treatment, and behavioral monitoring of adult sex offenders, which I guess now has to be adults who commit sexual offenses. Here's their explanation. The board writes, quote, the language change applies only to SOMB standards. The term sex offender will continue to be used in Colorado statute and the criminal justice system, including courts, law enforcement, and the Colorado Sex Offender Registry. The name SOMB itself will also remain unchanged. Okay, so they're still going to call it the Sex Offender Management Board, uh, but they're not going to use that term anymore other than in the law and in the name of their organization. Why are they doing it? Well, Kimberly Klein, a licensed counselor and the chairman of the board, says, quote, I think the biggest thing is research really shows us that assigning a label has the potential for negative effects in rehabilitation. I think that's, that's probably true to some degree. I think it's probably true. If you think of yourself, if you ground your identity in being a sex offender, then it's probably going to be harder to overcome that identity. Just like if you ground your identity in being a drug addict, it's going to be harder to overcome that identity. Just like if you ground your identity in being a transgender, cis, whatever, you know, I don't know, all of these various sexual things, then it's, it's hard for you to think outside of that box. It's hard. You just, you put yourself in a box and you can't get outside of it, which is why uh, nations that are Christian, nations that find their identity in God, who is transcendent being himself, right? When Moses asks God, who shall I tell them you are? And God says, I am that I am. I am, I am being. If you find your identity in the I am, then that's going to open up a lot of opportunity to you and free you. And if you don't do that, if you turn away from God, you're, you're going to be left with this pitiful question, who am I? This is why teenagers in particular try on all sorts of silly identities. And then they get locked in those identities for a while, and then they're ultimately unsatisfying, so they discard them. So I actually grant the point that, this, that the sex offender board is, is making. And, and it comes, it actually, we were talking about this yesterday. It actually comes from a place of sort of Christian charity, right? It comes from this concern for all sorts of victims, even people who are victims of vice and sin, who are committing crimes themselves. Even they are sort of victims of this. But it does so to the point of absurdity, right? It tries to out-Christian the Christians. It tries to turn everyone into a victim. And the perpetrators are the greatest victims of all, according to this ideology. It tries to help people by denying reality. But denying reality does not help anybody. It doesn't. You need to grapple with the fact that if you're a sex offender, you have committed sexual offenses. You've got to grapple with that. You need a sense of sin. You can only Get back into communion with God after you've gone through confession, after you've dealt with that sin and that crime yourself. You can only come back having paid your debt to society after you pay that debt, after you go through the criminal justice system. And if we try to skip that part, if we just let violent criminals off the hook and they pay a $500 bail and they're out, you're you're not going to have that flourishing, wonderful, safe society. You're going to get more mayhem and more death and destruction, and more crime. Speaking of sex offenders, 
I've got to cover this story. This is very, very important. The New York Times has a new report out on how Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, spent his final days in prison. So this is after a long time. Uh, the New York Times uh, has new documents from the FBI. FBI often will leak to the New York Times. And here it's unclear if the documents were already available. But the New York Times is reporting on them. So how did Jeffrey Epstein end his final days in prison? I assume, and I didn't really need a New York Times report for this, that it was pleading with Hillary Clinton for his life. It was, please, Hillary, please don't do it. Put it down, please, Hillary. Put the noose and the gun down, please. But uh, no, no, it turned out that he was saying he had no plans of suicide and he was living a wonderful life. And who knows, he's a pathological liar and a narcissist, but very few people believe that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. Very few people have faith in our institutions anymore as they crumble. We can't even agree on basic aspects of American history, on American public life, even to like our own country. Uh, we're going to have to deal with that problem before we deal with the, uh, problem, the political issues that come downstream of that. And one way to start dealing with that problem is to have a good Thanksgiving. Give thanks to God for the blessings. Love your country. Uh, give a, maybe pour one out for the pilgrims, you know, the guys who gave you this country. <laughs> and uh, enjoy your families. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I will see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial is set to begin. The U.S. suffers a record number of overdose deaths and protests break out in Europe over COVID restrictions. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. 